Welcome to What Do You Think I'm Al? And I'm C. And uh, today we are reviewing our first Spielberg picture, The Fablemans. Wow. That's, you know what, that's an accomplishment in itself, I think, Al. <laughs> we did it, it. It's it's an accomplishment that we've lasted long enough that we can review a Spielberg movie. You, well, I think it's, okay, no, it's an, sorry, it's an accomplishment when we get to review a Terrence Malick movie, but, <laughs> <laughs> like... Hey, listen, it's coming. He's working on, he's got a project. We won't talk about it, but he's working on a cool project. Anyways, no, we, we get to review a Spielberg movie. Like, come on, we did something. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Spielberg did something. That's also yes. awesome. He did. <laughs> thank you. you did thank, thank you, Stephen, for, for allowing us to have this opportunity. We couldn't have yes. done it without you deciding to share all your mommy and daddy issues. Thank you, Stephen. Like for the, this this movie and this review is for those that when they saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind, they were like, that ending's kind of fucked up. What's the deal with that? This movie kind of answers that question. Mm. Yeah, that's oh, that's such a good. You're right. That does answer that question. Yeah. So uh, the Fablemans, the Fablemans is basically a pseudo autobiographical uh, look into Steven Spielberg's. Uh, past as it looking into his past kind of like like the events that led to him becoming the the man and the filmmaker he is today um it is not an exact one-to-one recreation of his childhood thank god uh, th- thank god for that i think you know he worked with a famed uh, writer and collaborator tony kushner uh for those of you who don't know he uh, wrote the play angels in america and he also wrote the film adaptation of Lincoln for Spielberg. Uh, He's a Grammy away from being an EGOT and he'll never get the Grammy. Oh, I think he can get a Grammy somehow. Like if he writes a musical, has he ever written yeah. a musical? I don't think so. No. He only, he's only done plays, right? Or if he does spoken word, he's only yeah. done, he's done plays and, and yeah. movies. He's the, is, is, is he the gay Aaron Sorkin or the gay David Mamet? Yes. <laughs> great, great, great. That's that's great. <laughs> um, but, you but know yeah. what I mean. No, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yes. um uh yeah, so he's he's you know collaborated with Spielberg and they yes. they wrote this together. This is Spielberg's first writing credit on a feature since Ooh. I wanna say poltergeist? Because I think he helped write Poltergeist. He also helped direct Poltergeist, but that's a different story. That, that, that is a different story. Like, don't quote me on that, but like, I, I definitely know he wrote Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, I can't. Like, well, he definitely didn't write Warhorse, so. Well, no, 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 no. He hasn't written anything in a while. You know, I know it's been years. It's been uh, years. Let me see. Let me see. Uh, the last thing he wrote was yeah poltergeist that was the last thing he wrote okay no my mistake the last thing he wrote was ai well hold up cobra but yeah co-wrote well yeah that's what i mean wrote in any capacity it was yeah yeah, it was artificial intelligence Mm. but then the the last thing he like had a screen by, by play credit by was poltergeist and he had a story by credit on the goonies but Interesting. either either way, you know, like, again, Steven Spielberg has written things. 
Mm-hmm. He is considered an auteur, but like he's mostly been like he's been like David Fincher in the sense mm-hmm. of like just kind of just directing exclusively. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he decided um, I, I so a bit of a misconception. Um, there's kind of been a narrative going around on the interwebs that Spielberg didn't want to do this project until both his parents passed on. Uh, that's Arnold Spielberg and Irene Adler. Um that's actually not true. The The thing was, was that he just had so many other projects working on so many other projects that he just couldn't get Fablemans off the ground until until relatively recently. I think. Yeah, because fun facts, folks, he has more producer credits than director credits. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he him and Tony Kushner finally get around to writing this. Uh, the big thing they do is that. While there are some, like, it's Spielberg has admitted as such that there are, like, some actual recreations of events in his childhood, uh, kind of the characterization of his parents are kind of mixed around a bit to make him more cohesive. Uh, things are things are shifted around. Um, but for the most part, it's pretty much at least faithful to to how he remembers his childhood which which i found very interesting um and and again the biggest change is what i mean by things shifting around is that things that you know he felt about his mother were originally in reality towards his father uh things that you see that the father character does here were things that he felt about the mother his mother or the family friend that gets referenced in this in this picture Mm-hmm. So, uh, and again, the Tony Kushner has a great interview where he talks about like, yeah, we had to switch some things around just because it made for more, it made for a more engaging and, and, uh, and, uh, it made for a more engaging story. So mm-hmm. I think that's why this is called the Fablemans, not the Spielbergs, even though, which Fa- thank God, yeah. which, but, but Fablemans is like pretty much an, like taking simile words mm-hmm. of, because Spiel means story. And Berg means person, and they just switched here to be Fable and Man, so I mm-hmm. thought that was pretty clever. Yeah, um, so that's a great title. Yeah, so before we get into our review, see, um, it, it's been done to death, the whole, like, what are your favorite Spielberg movies? What do you think of Spielberg as a filmmaker? And we kind of always get the same answers. It's either Jaws E.T. or Jurassic Park for Millennials, and then mm-hmm. they say, oh, well, I think Spielberg is, the, is one of the greatest filmmakers alive, which is both true. Yeah. Uh, so I thought to kind of shake things up for this review before we get into our before, for this review for this episode before we get into our review, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you what do you think about post Munich Spielberg? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Wait, did um War of the Worlds come out before or after? Uh, same year. So okay, post, so post. post- Post Tom Cruise, Eric Bana, Spielberg. Okay, okay. So post those two movies. Well, let me first say before before I go into that, as you've just said, we're two assholes talking critiquing Spielberg. The man is a master of filmmaking. No one's denying this. He has made movies that have informed both our childhood and who we are as adults. Like. No one is denying that for a moment. Just praise be to the Spielberg. Let me be mm-hmm. clear. Mm-hmm. So and I'm, I know you're not saying otherwise, mm-hmm. but I do love this question. What do I think of post-Munich uh, Spielberg? And, you know, 
I'd like to, for just a moment, talk about why you said that. Because among a lot of people in our crowd, it's widely agreed upon that you saw a shift in his abilities after that. Mm-hmm. That's when that's when the change occurred. Um, well, both with War of the Worlds and with Munich, since, my God, he released those two movies in the same year. And you have two movies that, without a doubt, the reason why people started talking about that was because two arguably solid films with noticeable cracks in the armor of their making, where there were issues that people had. One was more admittedly political in certain ways, which I think was overblown, and the other was discussion on how they, he, he ended the movie. Um, you know what you just said. I don't know which of the two twenty isn't that great two thousand five movies. I, I can't tell. I'm like, I'm like, which one is the political winner and which one's the one with the iffy ending? Because I think you can apply that label to both. And you know what? Whichever one you, we, we'll create a BuzzFeed quiz out of it. Like, which one do you think we mean? No, I'm just kidding. Point is, but you both can apply to those two movies because both are kind of true in certain ways. But Everyone acknowledges that, for the most part, these are well-made movies. And by any other director, they'd be quite incredible. But this is Spielberg we're talking about. But post that, you do see this decline, okay? It's, I mean, it, the movie he made after those two was King of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that, that, yeah, we cannot deny that fact. So... We have Kingdom of the Crystal Skull till Fablemans, okay? Yeah. Do you want a list of those movies, by the way? Let's do it. Do it. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, The Adventures of Tintin, War Horse, Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, The BFG, The Post, Ready Player One, West Side Story, The Fablemans. All right. That is a very... And here's... Let me again say this. Any other director... That's its own solid resume, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. But when you're comparing to the sheer mastery of what he had made beforehand, you, you notice. So what do I think about posts, post, uh, what was it, 2005? Yeah, post-2005. Post-2005, he just, it all becomes so average. But because it's Spielberg... That's a problem. That's the best way I can put it. Yes. Now, I can nitpick which is the worst and which is the best. I have a very clear idea of that era. Like, which one really, you know, made me almost lose faith in his abilities. But, you know, it just, that era just shows you that no one lasts forever. It's not natural to last forever. Turns out, hey, guess what? Turns out Spielberg's a human being at the end of the day. And that's what that era just shows you is that what happens when someone who can't, you know, what happens when the rest of Hollywood refuses to acknowledge that he's only human and when someone has so many connections that he can truly keep putting out his work? 
Like, and who can blame him? Like, he's on top. You know, he he's the most in charge in that era. He is. He has huge amounts of control and sway. He can make whatever he wants. He's earned that. But it becomes actually quite literally. You know, I'm going to quote Jeff Goldfroom, Goldblum from one of his greater movies. You know, you kept wondering about how you could do it, how you could do it, or why, or you know, how you could do it and how you could make this happen. But you never at any point asked yourself if should you do it. And I think that's just, you know, that's a good one-to-one comparison there. So that's that's what I got to say on that. I, I, I guess I'll be more direct in my view of Please. Post- 2005 Spielberg. I, I yeah. think, um, like, the the problems with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull are inherently, like, conceptual. Like, you, you're turning you're turning Indiana Jones into a sci-fi thing now. Spoiler alert: uh, it involves aliens or interdimensional <laughs> travelers. Inter- yeah, interdiven- interdimensional traveling aliens. Yeah. No. Um. And that, that, you know, say what you will about some of the conceptual things in the movie. You know, the idea of Indiana Jones having a son. Um, kind of making it about the space race slash alien slash communism. Um, I, I still would argue that the film is very competently directed. Like, uh, like when, when, uh, when the new Indiana Jones movie comes out later this year. Like, I I don't see that movie being a superior directed product over King of the Crystal Skull. Um, and what I mean by that is that we're so used to Spielberg being on, like, the S level, the supreme level of, of directing talent, that even when he's kind of faltering, when he is faltering, because he, he did falter here, it's still well directed. It's just no, no longer the Spielberg level. It's now like at the journeyman level of someone like James Mangold or Joe Johnson, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, Adventures of Tintin. I know there's this whole thing that, you know, it was motion capture, blah, blah, blah. But let's be real. It was an animated movie. And, you know, with animation, because the camera's not real, you can just do so much more things with it. So... Like, of course, it's going to be one of the most flashiest things Spielberg has done, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was in 3D. It was. Yeah. No, I mean, people were, you know, people were so impressed by it and said, wow, Spielberg's Spielberg's now at a new level. And people were very excited. And then Spielberg and Peter Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which, by the way, the the deal was that Spielberg would direct the first one while Peter Jackson produced it, and then Peter Jackson would direct the second one, and Spielberg would produce it, but the the sequel never came. Mm-hmm. Um, Although it's apparently still in the works, has been for years, but we'll see about that. We'll see. Uh, War Horse comes out that same year, and it is pretty much a laughing stock. Like I I don't know if you remember, see that when War Horse came out. People were pretty much writing Spielberg's obituary of like, oh, I, I guess, I guess he really is like done. Like mm-hmm. there's, there's nothing left in the tank. Mm-hmm. And then, my God, ne- the next year he get he, the next year he comes out with Lincoln and, like, say what you will about Lincoln, but that was probably the strongest example of Spielberg directing actors, like, like. Like having like a performance-driven film, 
mm-hmm. since since probably Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. Like that was his that that's his strongest that that and Schindler's List are his strongest films in terms of like being a director who knows how to bring out a performance out of an actor. And for, for God's sakes, uh, Daniel Day Lewis won the Oscar for playing Abraham Lincoln, President mm-hmm. Lincoln. Uh, Bridge of Spies did not reach the heights of Lincoln, but it was, you know, it it was it did well enough that Mark. Well, here here's the funny thing, and are, are, you're not a theater kid, right? I I am a little bit. Well, okay, but but you know theater kids, right? Yeah, yeah. Um. One thing a theater kid will always tell you is they say, oh, um, the Daniel Day-Lewis of, of, of the stage is this act, this British actor named Mark Rylance. Mm-hmm. Like, he kind of had that same thing where he won, like, three Tonys, around, uh, three Tonys for the best leading actor in a, in a play. Oh, yes, I know who you're talking about. Yep. The, when, uh, the same, around the same time as uh, Daniel Day-Lewis was winning the Oscar for lead actors. Right. Mm-hmm. And ironically, although I think his first big Hollywood project was ironically enough. Uh, uh, what was that movie called? The, the one with Sean Penn directed by the French director who did, uh, taken, um, the gunman. Oh, is that, was that, was that what it was called? I don't know. I know what you're talking about. I didn't yeah. think that movie did that, anything. He was the villain in that, right? Oh. That, that was his first big Hollywood movie. Mm-hmm. And but his first like his first like big Hollywood performance was Bridge of Spies and he won he won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor that year, although some people think it should have been won by uh who who else was nominated that they everyone says should have won that year. I forget, mm-hmm. but but yeah, uh-huh. he does Bridge of Spies and people are like, Oh, I guess I guess Spielberg's gonna be doing is gonna be working on like creating films where, where he's like directing actors and like trying to get good performances. Mm-hmm. And then he does like a kids movie with the BFG, and mm-hmm. that be- that's like a literal non-entity. Nobody remembers that. No, it it, it came and went <laughs> so fast. And then the post came out, and all the shit people were saying about Spielberg when he did War Horse, they're now saying again. The post is like was like one of the worst movies of 2017. But here's and- the thing. Here's why people got mad because War Horse and the Post got dumped with Oscars. Yeah. Both of them, which really didn't help his case of his. So people always accused him, you know, of perpetuating certain stereotypes with all his connections. And those two movies, I'm not saying that's true, but those two movies getting dumped, and I mean dumped with Oscar nominations, didn't help that case mm-hmm. for him. But yes, when The Post came out, well, go on, what were you saying? When The Post came out, people were pretty much saying like, oh, Spielberg Spielberg doesn't Spielberg has no passion in filmmaking anymore. Oh, he uh he he just kind of he's become that director who's just directing just to not be bored. You know, th- th- there were a lot of things written. Yeah. Uh and, and the big thing where people saying was like his uh, cuz he was in the middle of post production of a really big movie when he decided to do the post which was Ready mm-hmm. Player 1. And I remember Everyone writing about like, oh, the post is so bad. That means Ready Player Ready Player One, which was a very popular book mm-hmm. with with readers, but not a very popular book with critics. Uh, everyone was already saying like, oh, Ready Player One's gonna is is gonna be a bomb. And it's wait, is a- that true that the book Ready Player One readers love it, but critics weren't into it? Oh yeah, critics. So 
You know, there's know a there's a sequel out, right? Yes, Ready Player Two. Yes, I know. That. So Ready Player One came out like right as nostalgia for the '80s was was really heating up, mm-hmm. and critics pretty much said, "Oh." This this book just exists to be like, hey, remember the 80s? Mm-hmm. So people are like, but, you know, it has an interesting it has an interesting like like a scavenger hunt, treasure hunt type narrative. But mm-hmm. it's really just there to be like, remember the 80s? And, and the critics weren't into it. Literary critics weren't into it. But obviously, oh, it that was huge. one of the mo- that that was a huge book, a huge, mm-hmm. huge book. And when it was announced that Spielberg was going to direct the live action adaptation, uh, a lot of a lot of bloggers who are both into books and movies were like, oh, this this is going to suck. It's just going to be, hey, remember these things I did in the 80s, because arguably Spielberg's best decade was the 80s. Mm-hmm. And he, and when it when Ready Player One came out, obviously it was I, I, people argue about its story, but they say like, well, the same with Tintin was this motion capture type movie just kind of opened the floodgates of Spielberg's imagination over what to do with the camera and how to, how to set up set pieces. Mm-hmm. And I personally enjoyed it. I personally enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know if I made it one of my top 10 of 2018, but I, I know I personally enjoyed it. And I was like, Oh, Spielberg, Spielberg still has like Spielberg's not Spielberg still hasn't become Francis Ford Coppola where, where mm. like, where like his last few movies, it really was him just kind of being like, "All right, here's a camera. Let me make something because I'm bored. Because my my wine my, isn't doing is my wine is selling out too much. I don't know. Yeah, 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 something like that. Um, and I thought, okay, this th- so the the obituaries written in 2011 and 2017 were a bit overblown. Uh, <laughs> then he does West Side Story, which I think is his best movie since Lincoln. Mm-hmm. And I think it might even be better than Lincoln and it's a remake. And then you remember, oh, West Side Story is one of Steven Spielberg's favorite films. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, that makes sense. This 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 is something he's really, really passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I've it's come to see that really and truly he has three movies that in this in this era that are like like like, dude, what are you doing? Um, and then he has he has two movies where you're like, wow, this is this is Spielberg doing what Spielberg does best. And then the rest are kind of just like, yeah, forgettable. Not, I wouldn't say forgettable. They're they're BFG's like is completely forgettable. Well, OK, fine. They're 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 they range from like, OK, to forgettable. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have Fablemans. Yeah. So see, how's about. We watched the trailer for Fablemans, which we we even haven't said who it stars. It stars. Um, oh yeah. It stars uh, uh, Paul Dano playing uh, the Spielberg patriarch, although obviously different name, Bert Fableman, and Michelle Williams playing the Irene Adler role of of Spielberg's mother. In this case, Mitzi Fableman, mm-hmm. and then we get this newcomer, uh, relative newcomer, Gabriel LaBelle playing. The point of view character, kind of the lead, uh, Sammy Fableman, who obviously is a stand-in for Spielberg himself. Uh, so yeah, let's let's watch the trailer and then we will start giving our review. Movies are dreams. 
that you never forget. Tammy? change how everything looks it's hard to find our house ours is the dark house with no lights in this family it's the scientists versus the artists sammy's on my team takes after me Dismiss what he does. It's playful or imaginative. You could afford to be a little encouraging. She should have been a concert piano player. What she got in her heart is what you got. You can't just love something, you also have to take care of it. It's more important than your hobby. Can you stop calling it a hobby? Mom got a monkey! Why'd you get a monkey? Because I needed a laugh. Always have to be the center of attention. Stop shouting at her! That has been nothing but disrespect from you! I'm your mother! Family, art, it'll tear you in two. You stop making movies, it'll break your mother's heart. I don't know what to do anymore. You do what your heart says you have to. What was your favorite part? My favorite part was when it ended. <laughs> oh. I'm joking. I kid. I Come kid. Come on. I kid. Let's not I be kid. mean. I kid. I, I actually, you know, I have some positive thoughts on this movie. No. But uh, see, you, opening thoughts. So this movie gets announced and, well, actually, let's go back a bit. I first hear about this movie from you when you told me, oh, Steven Spielberg's writing something again. And I even I knew that, oh, damn, it's been a minute. And then when it was some when I heard it was semi autobiographical, I was like, oh, he's had a there's some personal stuff he's famously doesn't like to talk about. So let's let's see what happens. Let's let's take a look at this. Um, so. There was just, yeah. just one thing I want to add. This movie got announced around the same time, maybe a few months before, a few months after that, or no, actually, maybe a year later, after there was a Spielberg documentary on HBO. Do you remember that? Yes, I do remember that. I've not seen it, but I do remember, I do remember that. The, so, so yeah. I, I think, I, I, again, he, again, he, he just never had time to, to put pen to paper to write this, but... Mm -hmm. I think when when that documentary came out, did he make all, that? Who made that documentary? Uh, I, I, like you know, Spielberg is like one of the biggest moguls in sure in in Hollywood. So I am not surprised if he like produced it himself, or hmm. or at least had some semblance of of the the of it. Uh, well, it was directed by it was directed by Susan Lacey. Okay. Uh, 
and let me look up let's see if he is under producer wow i, I love that like all these a-listers of hollywood are like involved of course um i mean obviously he's in it so yeah it, it doesn't seem that he's like Producing he like it. helped produce it or was an executive? That's probably a good thing. That would look a little odd, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, and by the way, I made a mistake. Uh, his mother's name is not Irene. It's Leah Adler. Leah Adler. So. I was about to say, wait a minute, but okay, yeah. Leah. Uh, but yeah, so this get this the the this gets. So yes, Spielberg documentary yeah. comes out, and more people are aware of his childhood history um which I, so were you aware of his childhood history i don't know i don't know if we ever had a conversation about spielberg in that way but we were you we did a, we did a little i i so i knew that he there the story is basically this oh his parents got divorced and it was very bad um and for years it was the story that his Dad cheated on his mom. When it turned out, his mom cheated on his dad. And there are movies that reflect this. Um, E.T. depicts a single-parent household, basically. With an absent father. With an absent father. Which was pretty rare at the time when it came out. Um, And it was a love... That movie was a love letter to his mother in a lot of ways. Um, But then... Years later, he learned the truth, and it really messed – it devastated him when he I mean, learned that. Yeah, because he literally makes movies about how fathers kind of don't care about their sons. Yeah. Like, the the big one is Close Encounters – and this is a spoiler for a almost 50-year-old movie. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that movie's old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so the movie's about these aliens who come in – to earth and have like basically have uh, 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 interactions with humans. And one of these humans is played by Richard Dreyfus mm-hmm. and Richard Dreyfus has a family and stuff, but he's so obsessed with interacting with these aliens that at the end of the movie, he decides to go to space with the aliens, leaving behind his family. And, and, and the movie doesn't like judge him it's, for it. No, it's not seen as a bad thing. It's like, no, this is just what you do. Yeah. Uh, so that's the most weird. famous one. And then obviously, I mean, in like even an Indiana Jones movie is about daddy issues by with, the, uh, way, the Last Crusade. Yes, but let me just say, I can tell you, and I know the movie. He realized he learned the truth. Oh, I do too. <laughs> what do you think it is? Catch me if you can. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, seriously, the his two thousands year is just him like apologizing to his his dad dad. i like like the big plot point of the terminal is that tom hanks character wants to finish what his father started in collecting like the signatures of jazz musicians Mm -hmm. like like you literally go like wow he loves dads again i wonder what happened he learned the truth (laughs) he learned the truth he learned the truth And, and this movie is him finally reconciling it all like finally coming to terms with it so back 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 to this in general so i learned you know that this was being made that this is what was being what was happening you know cast was announced and then like it kind of went away for a while you know you don't really think about it trailer comes out and the first thing i thought was 
man, this looks like some real Spielberg shit. Not shit in a bad way, just like... This is Spielberg. It's got the Spielberg sauce all over it. The, he's got the, sh- you know, you know what I'm talking about. The schmaltzy music. The, yeah, it's this movie is so schmaltzy. It's like it's a it's a it's a it's a root beer float with extra schmaltz. It's really <laughs> it's like genuinely what I was thinking when I see the trailer for this. So because of that, and because of my previous impression with the you know the post 2005 Spielberg era I really I was hesitant to see this I I, I kept putting it off and it's honestly one of the reasons why we're so late with this review because guys I don't I don't know if you know this but it got nine Oscar nominations yeah (laughs) so this is also our first like post Oscar nominations review review episode yes so and we'll so, get into the, we'll get into our full discussion and thoughts on the Oscars in a different episode. But yeah, this is the this is the first real post Oscars episode. Um, so yeah, basically, once we saw like all the amount of nominations that the Fablemans got, we were like, well, I guess we have to see it. And yeah, and, yeah I, I'm with you. See, I was fully fully expecting this to be like Warhorse. Where you're like, okay. The, the, I thought this was going to be Warhorse meets E.T., honestly. Yeah, yeah, me too. But without any of, you know. Without any genre trappings like an alien or stuff, right? Yeah. Um, no, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, what I wasn't expecting and what's really refreshing about this film, and I think you would agree, is that because it is, there, it is very heavily autobiographical. You get scenes, you get, you get scenes that really feel like, oh, this really happened and this feels authentic to, to life. Right. Um, which like say what you will about Spielberg. He doesn't see, he, he's never seemed to be interested to trying to ground his films in reality. I mean, there, there's notable exceptions like with, um, obviously, uh, 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 Schindler's list and, and in some ways, uh, Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he always heightens his films with genre trappings in the best way possible. I mean, the Saving Private Ryan, while it's a war movie, it's also one of the most intense action movies you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and because there will it, never be a scene like the Normandy scene. Yeah, there will never be a scene like that. Yeah. Recreated, but never. But never, or or was it never rec- again? Recreated but never replicated. I think yes. Um, the cl- actually no joke. The closest you get is in a is in another war movie called Enemy at the Gates, but that's the closest you get. Yeah, that's the closest you get. Although, and this we'll talk about it more in our review with our friend Jay. Mm-hmm. I think there's a there's a particular tracking shot in uh, All Quiet on the Western Front that gets a pretty close. It, it uh, does a very fine job. It does a very fine job. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of the thing that I was shocked was that, and I, I don't know if you felt this way, see, cause we hadn't really discussed it where, well, actually we kind of did where we were like, this thing is so like specific and how it plays out that I can't not imagine this actually happening to him. Yeah. You know, and that's refreshing because what was it you who mentioned it to see where it's like the beginning is like pure Spielberg schmaltz with the beautiful lighting and mm-hmm. the soft cinematography and the schmaltzy music. And then like 
like sometime after their first move, it it's suddenly becomes very grounded in reality. It does. It it so basically yeah, the first act is all schmaltz, all of it. Um, and let me be clear, you never lose it throughout the whole movie. Let's be honest. But what happens is it kind of it it genuinely the older here's what it is. As he gets older, it gets closer to his current reality, like where he's living right now. So because of that, the memories are less as he's when he's younger, the memories are less clear. But when he gets older, he remembers it better. So he uses almost the schmaltz to fill in the parts he doesn't remember so well. You know, something I so in the lead up to the Fablemans being released, kind of the narrative around the film was that, oh, we have another the magic of cinema movie, mm-hmm. you know, or the magic of cinema Oscar bait movie, which yep. was the narrative surrounding the Fablemans, because yep. obviously it's an, it's a semi autobiographical account of Spielberg's childhood and his love of movie making. Um, and ironically, the film is not a love letter to cinema in the way you would expect something like La La Land or or um, uh, what was what was the other you, you know those movies that's all about no, like I look, know. or um, the artist the artist yeah yeah this it, it's interesting enough that so this is film as a coping mechanism yes 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 it's it's so basically the first act is Sammy Fableman who's obviously the stand-in for Steven Spielberg as a child as like a three four year old or or maybe a little old maybe five goes to see his first movie and is so like taken aback by this this train crash scene that he feels compelled to recreate it right and you know so so for Hanukkah he requests a train set and train sets are expensive they're really expensive. Like you they and I still, know that. They still, they still are. are. Yeah, no, yeah. they they still are very expensive. My dad and I had a train set, and it was not cheap to maintain. Yeah. yeah. So you know, he asks for a train set in Hanukkah, and his unsuspecting parents, again played by Paul Dano and Michelle Williams, they get him one, and he proceeds to use it just to crash into things, and his mother is gets creative and is like, okay. You, we'll have you just crash it once, but we're going to film it with this eight millimeter camera so you can just rewatch it over and over again. They do that, and that little event, that little that little technique in order to get him to not break his toy train, makes him fall in love with the idea of making films, right? And he uses this love, he this love of cinema, to kind of hide away ignore the growing familial tension tensions in his household when his parents move and that creates tensions in their marriage and he just wants to avoid all that and just focus on his making the films with his friends mm-hmm. and yeah it's a coping mechanism if anything the fablemans kind of makes the argument don't allow art to be a coping mechanism for your children who are trying to ignore the very real family problems that exist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that was really interesting. I was like the, the lead up, the marketing is all like the magic of movies and the movie itself is about like the trauma of movies. No, not really. Not, <laughs> not, really. not exactly no. the trauma, but no. kind of like, kind of like how to, have, how to ignore reality with movies. 
you know. And that's in a, in a way that's what they were made to do. That's part of their magic yeah. and their luster and their beauty. Yeah, we love movies because it, it it allows us to kind of ignore and avoid the very real problems that happen in our lives. And believe me, it's an, for the past few years with the way the world's been, sometimes, Al, I know you've done this. You just want to go see a movie and you do you ever have that moment where you don't give a shit what the movie is, but you go to you just want to go to a theater and go away for a minute yeah. for a few hours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Sammy Sammy Fableman does this, you know, especially as a moody teenager. But then he takes it one step further that anytime there's a family problem between his parents uh, or between his parents and him or between him and his sister or like problems at school, you know what he does? He goes to this editing machine he has and just edits whatever he's working on mm-hmm. and forces whatever film he's working on to 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 be the to be the exact type of scenario he because he, he can control the editing machine. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's like his little space of control. So he, he every time there's a big fight, he goes and edits. Right. And you see that's a coping mechanism because he really has no control over his life or he perceives he has no control over his life. So editing, like whatever little project he's on, kind of feels like him gaining control of his life again. And, and then also, we're, we won't get into specifics, but it's when he's editing that he, he discovers something that kind of fractures his entire world. And it, it, it's really interesting that Spielberg presents movies and, and the act of making movies as, I mean, it's beautiful, but it's also something where you can in a sense, get addicted to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- that's pretty much what the fail is. It shows you like, yeah, I eventually got addicted to this and this was all I could do. Mm-hmm. Right. I ended up being great at it, but mm-hmm. you know, it was a problem for a bit. You know, his father didn't approve of what he was doing. His father even says like, uh, when you, when you really went into this hobby, I should have done more things to discourage it. Cause you were just kind of, it felt like you were just kind of avoiding the responsibilities of the world. And you, here's the thing. I know, without ever knowing, in reality, I know that there was probably a moment where his father, his real life father, had a very serious attempt at discouraging him, and it was probably way more sad, and he just couldn't include it. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that happened, which is unfortunate. On the flip side, you have his mother, who trained as a classical pianist, uh, and her whole thing is that she wants to encourage the this artist in sammy and and she kind of and she encourages it almost to almost to unreasonable levels and then you find that her own artistic sensibilities in a sense can become very toxic for the family and before i forget and and I, i do apologize so in okay we've already said his real life parents got a divorce right yeah so interesting thing about the movie so in the movie, the daughters stay with the mother, and he stays with the dad. Now, the reason for this is their age, basically. That's kind of what we figure out. Mm-hmm. But in reality, the daughters actually stayed with the father, and in a very shocking move, he went to stay with his mother because he blamed his father for mm-hmm. years. Um, staying with his mother is probably the main reason why he was still able to make movies for so long. Yeah. It's just interesting to think about that, but he made a very conscious choice to change that in this movie. 
Yes. Uh, that being said, though, just just to be accurate, when he went to college, uh, he did move in with his dad because his dad just lived closer to the college he was that going is, to. That is very true. But it's also why, if you notice in the Fablemans, the timeline of certain things, basically the win of certain things is moved much further up in his mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. He's older when it happens yeah. than in reality. He was younger. But anyways, yeah. yeah. So... So that so conceptually, the Fablemans is definitely not as advertised. You know, mm-hmm. this isn't a the magic of the movies type of movie. So if that was something that was like preventing you from watching this, then don't worry. This this is actually has a bit more of a complex outlook on the nature of art and how we use art to kind of avoid our own lives. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's an interesting conversation to have, and I think Spielberg has an interesting uh, point to make with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, now to the nitty gritty of it. Um, this is a Spielberg movie, so you know the technical aspects are going to be supreme tier. They're going to be top notch. I mean, mm. and they uh, were. Yeah. Uh, the so <laughs> just to show you, Spielberg is that level of filmmaker that his entire crew is basically the upper echelon of like the masters of their crafts. Like his sound, them. his sound designer is Gary Rydstrom. <laughs> For those that don't know, he pretty much invented Skywalker sound and all the droid noises. He's he's like the Spielberg <laughs> of sound designers. When Spielberg asks any one of because that's the thing, if Spielberg asks them to do something, they're like, "Yes, sir." When? Yeah, and, and that's m- it. Music by John Williams, obviously oh, wow. someone he's worked with since the beginning of his career. Like for the longest time, we were really worried that this was going to be his last collaboration with John Williams. Because John Williams announced that he was going to retire after doing the newest Indiana Jones movie that's coming out this year. Mm-hmm. But then he recanted and says, no, no, no. I'll probably just make movies with Steven for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, it's just going to be Steven, basically. Yeah. And then, obviously, Janusz Kaminski, who he's worked with since uh, since uh, Schindler's List, is the DP. And, I mean, for God's sakes, the, the movie's gorgeous. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful to look at. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's too beautiful, but then that's the point. Mm-hmm. Once... Once, like, the moody teenager years and, and the reality of what, what his life is comes into play, the movie becomes a lot, the, the cinematography becomes a lot more realist. Although an example of what you just said where it looked too beautiful is there's a scene basically after prom where he's in a hallway with this kid. That, shot, that scene looked too pretty. Because it was like all these waves of different lighting and it was gorgeous. But it's like, this is a school hallway, guys. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's no need for this. No, I, I appreciated like there's there's an extended sequence that takes place in a beach. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it, it looks like a beach. It doesn't look like this beautiful Instagram filtered Instagram filtered tropical paradise that unfortunately... Someone like Spielberg, who that's kind of his bread and butter is to make things to look as beautiful and interesting as possible. Like, I'm just glad, like, obviously this isn't as gritty as something like Munich or even um, or even uh, 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 Lincoln. Mm-hmm. But it's still refreshing to be like, OK, he's not because that was the one thing I hated about the post was that everything felt the like. One? Well, one of the big things Mm -hmm. was that everything was just too beautiful in the post. It was too idealized. And like when I saw that movie, I wanted to go to Spielberg and say, like, did you not see all the president's men? Did you not see that for something like this? You got you got to keep it simple. I mean, Spotlight got it. 
Yeah. I, I don't know why why that's so hard for you. Although you got to remember the reason why all oh, the president's men is such a really amazingly shot movie is yes, the 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 cinematography is simple, but it's a it's what makes it look so unique is it's simple lighting, simple simple camera work, but the set of that movie is actually one of the most elaborate sets made at the time because they recreated everything perfectly but broke it down in the office in crazy ways so they could get really unique shots. Mm -hmm. So that's why that movie works so well. Mm -hmm. Now in the post, they just said, eh, let's just use a bunch of special effects and random things. It's like, no. It it looks really Hollywood. And and that's kind of in my shorthand is that Spielberg has this propensity to make things look really, really Hollywood. He does. And, and at the beginning, the first act of the Fablemans, yes, it's very, very Hollywood because he wants to establish the magic he felt when he saw his first movie and when he made his first eight millimeter movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fortunately, once the film really pivots to what it's about, which is kind of the breakdown of this family, right. And the consequences that had on its, on its point of view character, it becomes a lot more grounded, a lot more realist. There's still flashes of that very Hollywood Spielberg style, but mm-hmm. I, I can thankfully said he, he he toned it down. It's super appropriate for something like West Side Story, but for this, it was like good. You 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 understand that you can't have sweeping crane shots and and beautiful light coming for a in dinner from scene or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, performance wise, again, Fableman's like even when it was announced, I was like, okay, this is gonna be that Spielberg directing actors movie because you have a Spielberg making a like you have a Spielberg where where the camera is really pivotal to the experience and then you have a Spielberg movie where it's all about the performances right and this (laughs) this really is more all about the performances and while the two while the two listed leads are Michelle Williams and uh, Paul Dano I gotta say this newcomer in Gabriel LaBelle like like his role isn't complex, but I really, really like. I really felt like I understood his character. I really felt like I could empathize with his character, and you can only do that when when you give a really, really good performance. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's do very you have anything true. to add to that? Um, with regards to the performances, I think obviously the mother stands out. Um, I gotta give credit though. Um, so the the actor that played the um the great uncle basically Judd Hirsch Judd Hirsch Uncle Boris Uncle Boris who Judge Hur Judd Hirsch man I haven't seen him in enough in a long time but that's uh, he's so- still he's still making a lot of movies and he does a lot of TV that's true. That's true. I, uh, most of you people would know him. He was he was Jeff Goldblum's dad in Independence Day. Yes. And if there's anyone older watching or listening to this podcast, he was uh, one of the lead characters in Taxi. Yes, he was. So this movie, or no, sorry, that character, he, what he did what Spielberg did with that character was really cool because he basically he used that little role just to it's to get, it's not the, it's it's basically it's not a cameo but it's like it's like a, a single scene character yes but what works about it is it's Spielberg saying what he's finally learned now it's almost a moment where his future self is talking to his past self which I think is a really cool cool idea and cool way to use it but it's just that character 
fully understanding that movies are a drug, that movies, he's, he's screaming at the guy, stop doing what you're doing, but I know you won't be able to. Like he's like saying, I know you won't be able to spend times with your kids, Steven. He's like, yeah, that's a whole other thing. But he, he's basically saying, do what I know you can't. And it's such a great moment. Also, just to point out, guys, Seth Rogen's in this movie, and he does exactly what's asked of him. Like, full credit. You know, I so so uh, we're recording this podcast um, a day after we've seen Sarah Polly's newest film, Women Talking. Oh, yeah. We'll get and, to that. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. But, but um, what I wanted to say is that uh, Sarah Polly, like when we were in college – how, how do I put this? Um, so, so Seth Rogen ostensibly plays someone who is really, who's pretty much, uh, who, who's, who's pretty much not single-handedly, but is a big reason why there's tension in the family. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's something involving him and Michelle Williams character. But he's uh, your best friend, Mark. Yeah, it, it's, or, it's 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 yeah. between him and Michelle Williams, or, and the thing the the thing I found funny was that what they do is what happened to Seth Rogen's character and Sarah Polly's like 2011 film Take This Waltz, and oh, I I, I, right. I I just want to say that Steven Spielberg probably saw that as like you know what that's not fair I'm gonna have you do that with Michelle Williams mm-hmm. and Seth Rogen's probably like thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the way, Take This Waltz is a great movie. It, it is. It's a depressing movie. It is. a. De- Sarah Polly makes depressing movies. And we'll get to that when we do our review <laughs> on women talking. Yeah. The, the, not not for the smaltzy goodness moment. No, we'll talk about that later. You know, the, the interesting thing about Seth Rogen's character, Benny, is that he's not on screen a lot. But you need a performance that is able to – his performance is is interesting because – on paper, he's like, oh, he's the family uncle, the the family jokester uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, but he his performance is a lot more layered than that. And he's got to leave an impression in order for you to understand. Because Benny, the character, looms over the entire family. And you got to give a very complex performance in order to make that shadow that he casts, even when he's not on screen with the other characters, to feel authentic. And... Credit to Seth Rogen, he does just that. Yeah. Um, you know, you're like, you're like, this is fucked up, but this is fucked up, but I, I can believe that because because on some level, if you're not directing and let let's put it this way, if Seth Rogen is not the underrated actor that he is, when these conflicts arise over his character, you're like, really for Seth Rogen, I don't get it. But yeah. you know, Seth Rogen has been in a lot of really good movies, and he's he's actually acted. He's actually good at acting and it becomes it, it, it becomes like like you, you you go like, OK, OK, I can I can totally believe why this is happening because of him, even though he's not on screen. Um, you mentioned the, the mother, Mitzi, played by Michelle Williams. I would it be that. Well, this is my opinion, so mm-hmm. I don't know why I would ask you your permission for it, but. I, there were some scenes where I really liked her performances, and there were other scenes where I thought Michelle Williams was going maybe a tier too intense. You know, like like where it it became less of a grounded performance and more of a, like 
kind of stagey, if that makes any sense. Um, so I think like, that was the direction, if I'm being honest. A little bit. I, I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't I don't I don't want to cast the because overall I still like it, but the big problems I had with it was that there were times where I was like Okay, I feel like Michelle Williams is performing like like if she's in a play, not if she's in cuz cuz I mean, see you know this, the camera captures everything. It mm-hmm. it accentuates everything. So you got to be performing in front of a camera, you have to be so much more subtle than when you're performing on a stage. Just so much more subtle because that camera captures everything. There's this great YouTube video where uh uh Michael Caine is giving a a a, a workshop on on direct on acting in front of a camera and he just talks about how like that camera is going to capture everything that's why you, you gotta sometimes you gotta even move more subtly than in real life because that camera is going to capture everything and there were times where i was like i was like michelle williams is is doing too much you know it wasn't a lot i think i think it's mostly in the scenes where you know she's having a moment a hysterical mm-hmm. moment where I was like, okay, this feels like it's too much because it's not vibing with everything else. Uh, and then, ironically enough, there were times where I felt like, where I felt like Paul Dano's character Bert was just too subdued. And then I realized, oh no, that's the point with him—that he's too <laughs> subdued. That's why Sammy's so mad at him because he's like, dude, don't you see what's happening? What the fuck? And he'd be like, well, what are you talking about? I don't understand. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I was like, oh, that's the point. But I never feel like the movie gave me a point of why Mitzi acted that hysterically in certain scenes. But I also think at the end of the day, this is why I say it's the direction. I think Spielberg was like, well, this is what she was like. You know, this is what. Oh, this is who she, she was. was. I, I, I can't imagine. I'm sure he lo- obviously he loved no, his yeah, mother. We're not, let's not go into that. But yeah. yeah. You but know, I, for me personally, yeah. I'd be like, I'd be like, I'd be exhausted. Well, I think it may, turns out it may have been exhausting, maybe a little bit, you yeah. know, from what we've gathered. But I also think probably if I were to say or guess, she probably was that way because she felt, and I'm not actually talking about the person. She probably had to put, it was, she was putting something on for the sake of the kids. So it's probably why she was acting in the family a little bit. You know, Mm -hmm. she probably was hyping it for her because she truly loved her kids. And as she said in the movie, she loved her husband, just not in the same kind of way. So she very much probably that eccentric behavior that she's portraying, you know, was probably accurate. I think what would have helped, but I don't know when we could have put it in. Is maybe you, or you know what would have been good? You see if she acted different around Seth Rogen's character, where she acts not subdued, but just. We get, yeah. We get a little bit of it in a very pitiful scene, but it's. It's intentionally like seen from a distance. Yes. Right? But it's I think if we had distance. gotten that, like if we had revealed, and obviously, you know, they reveal the intimacy in subtle ways. I get that. But if you just see, like, even if it was Spielberg saying, hey, when you're around him, you're just a little more relaxed. Like the weight is off your shoulders. I think she, I think that actress, she would have known exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. And we would have seen something quite interesting. Sure, sure. Um, just to round out the rest of the cast, uh, so uh, Keely Cartson plays, uh, or no, no, no. Uh, well, yes, Keely Cartson and Julia Butters play the. Oh, and um, 
uh, the, 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 oh, uh, uh, and uh, Sofia Copera, they play the 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 Fableman sisters, his younger sisters, and mm-hmm. they 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 do a great job. I I mean, Julia Butters is obviously on the path of becoming a big big star. Uh, she was for those that don't know, she was the child actress in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, mm-hmm. She had a pretty big role in the Netflix blockbuster The Gray Man and uh, yeah now she's in this she's she's gonna become the next ironically enough her best friend is a McKenna Grace and it looks like she's on the path to becoming the next McKenna Grace is Uh, it true that that bit where she goes up to um, that bit in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where she says that was the greatest acting I've ever seen in my life is it true that that wasn't scripted? She just sort of said that and she didn't realize the camera was rolling? I've never heard of that anecdote, so I can't verify its authenticity. Okay, I've, uh, I feel, I've heard that in a couple of places and yeah. I was just curious. So so uh, Keely Carson, I think she's like the older Fableman sister. And she's, mm-hmm. she's obviously involved, but it seems very intentional that Spielberg cast a very well-regarded child actress to play Reggie Fableman, who's really more kind of like the... Kind of like the the both sparring partner and like wall to jump off his ideas in terms of Sammy. You know, there's always that one sibling that that you kind of talk to more seriously. And Mm -hmm. she kind of plays that role for Sammy Fableman. And she has this really, really good monologue where she talks about like, hey, Sammy, you're the closest to mom. Like in the sense of like, you're the one who acts the most like her. Mm -hmm. And... Like, that's a very, very good scene. That's a very well-acted scene. It is and, great, because and, he doesn't believe it. No, he doesn't believe it. And um, I just go, like, I just go, like, wow, Julia Butters is going to go places. Um, then we have... Um, then we have Chloe East, uh, Sam Reckner, Oaks Fegley, and Isabel Kusman playing these classmates of Sammy Fableman when he moves to a California high school. Mm. Chloe East plays his love interest, Monica Sherwood, and she hasn't been in a lot. But let me tell you, this girl's funny. This that, girl is yeah, fucking that, that, funny. That was she. She, she has a seed. Has that gr- is, she has. She has great. First off, I know this sounds obvious, but her timing in especially one very specific scene is was shockingly good. Yeah. Like she hasn't been in a lot, but I, I kept I kept leaning over to seeing going like this girl is funny. Uh, Oaks Fegsley and Sam Reckner play uh, his bullies. Sam mm-hmm. Reckner in particular plays a bully who's like the alpha of the school. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Sammy decides to get back at him by making him look really good in a, in a little classroom project he does. Mm-hmm. And they have so they have a scene together, the aforementioned really well lit hallway scene. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that kept going through my mind is like, wow, Gabriel LaBelle and Sam Reckner have really, really good chemistry together. Like really good chemistry. Like like in I could totally see them doing like a buddy cop movie or something. Oh yeah. Uh and and Sam Reckner, he's the type of actor that you look at him and you're like, someone's gonna offer you a superhero role. Cause he's like he's like this well built six foot plus blonde. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like, yeah, you're 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 going places. So Marvel's gonna be like, who do you want? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> who do you want? Exactly. Uh, Oaks Fegley plays like the psychotic. Oh my god, he could be Iceman when they bring back um, X Men. 
Yeah, that yeah. Sam I Sam Rector, if you're listening to this, tell your agent you want to be Iceman when the MCU starts going mutants. Yeah. Uh Oaks Fegley plays like the psychotic bully of Sammy Fableman and you know the role's pretty one dimensional. Um he's also the the big anti Semite of the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm obviously uh because this is based on Spielberg's life, the family's Jewish. In fact that their Jewish identity is a big part of, of the movie. Uh and Really, it's this character, Chad, that Sammy starts to experience anti-Semitism. Um, and it's pretty blatant. Like, like yeah. even even for the, for the era, people kind of look at this character and go like, dude, chill. Yeah. <laughs> even the other bully goes like, okay, I'm not going to say those things you're saying. Yeah. Um, but that's what made the alpha bully more interesting is that he, was, he would silently condone it. I actually liked that character. No, yeah. I found that was more interesting of that character. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally agree. And again, these are small roles, like... They really only show up during during the last third of the movie, um, but they were memorable enough that I felt like we had to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else we haven't talked about that you want to mention, C? Um, you know, I'll I'll say I'll say it when I give my review. Is there anything else you want to mention before you give your review? Um, like I said, technically this movie is technically like top tier. Uh, I will say though, like this is not. Well, and this has been true for a while. Uh, the last couple of collaborations John Williams has done with Steven Spielberg has not produced uh, memorable music. I mean, it's fine for what they are, but they they do not have the iconic status as something even like something like um, like uh, I, I guess Lincoln had memorable music. Um, uh, we can. Well, what mean, was the last Spielberg Williams movie that really had memorable music that wasn't Indiana Jones? Uh, it, it was depressing, but uh, Schindler's List, the violin. Was Ye- yeah, but pretty but iconic. Then, but then they added they had, they made a very iconic. I mean, well, I mean, it, no, okay, you're right. That's less so. So no, no, no. Uh, the violin is iconic. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying then afterwards he made The Lost World, which uh, which well, had that, iconic music. But that was attached to something that had been made before that. That's true. That's very true. Um, uh, I guess, yeah, War of the Worlds. Sure. Yes. Like, like the, there hasn't been anything in post-2005 Spielberg movies that has had an iconic score. And I mm. think that's a little disappointing. Mm. Um, like... Even something like Ready Player One, it's just they're just taking from all these other scores. So Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of something if you're like, oh, I can't wait to listen to the John Williams soundtrack, it's like it's not that memorable. Um It's very fun. Yeah, it's very, very fine. So uh see, wanna give your rating? Sure. I give this a schmaltzy flush. What do I mean by that? I mean yes. Al is absolutely right in that it knows when to tone down the schmaltz, the Spielberg look, but it still is that by its nature. It is a movie about him. Um, but I acknowledge that this was significantly better than I would thought it was going to be. Um, I, I I was really prepared to give this a movie before right like before I I had watched it. I was like, man, I just think this is gonna be too much. It's gonna be over the top. But you know, I, I, I would never give a Spielberg movie anything lower than that. Although, well, never mind, there's a movie I'm thinking of now. But um what I'm saying is it's like 
I was so surprised that this was as good as it was. But at the same time, this isn't going to be on my top 10. And I still don't fully understand how. Well, I know how, but I don't know why. You get the politics of the game. You get it's the the reason why I got nine nominations is the politics of the game. But that being said, it's still a very enjoyable movie and significantly better than I expected it was going to be. So for that, I have to. And after so many years of me seeing so many not that exciting Spielberg movies, I was happy to see this. Like, you know how you felt, Al, after seeing West Side Story, where you felt uplifted almost by what he did? I felt that too, but I still can't say, like, that... I, I, I can't... It doesn't feel right to put this in my top 10 because there's so much else that came out this year. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? Spielberg's had his era, truly, and he will never be forgotten, obviously. But he... Yeah, it's a small, it's a smulchy root beer float, you know, Spielberg flush, but it's still a flush. So take that what you will. You do not have to see this in theaters, but if you are a cinephile, why not go do it? But if you miss this in theaters, you, I, you'll be okay. All right. So I, I honestly thought after we talked about this, that you were going to be more critical of the film than me, but. I, I, I'm going to give this a Spielbergian movie. It's a Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie did not blow me away. I was not sobbing at the end of this picture. Uh, I, I was smiling at the end of this picture because I thought, oh, this, this, this is going a lot better than I expected. Like, truly, I really did think that this movie was going to kind of kind of land on, on its face because it's like, oh, Spielberg... Spielberg is 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 so much about like this wonder this wonderment sincerity thing. I mean that's his that's his bread and butter. That and I'm not I'm not saying he hasn't made films that aren't that. Obviously Schindler's List is not that. Munich is not that. But like that childlike sense of wonderment has kind of been the thing that's kind of not allowed him to really stretch his legs in certain genres where that's just kind of clashes with tone. Right. Mm. Um, Spielberg, or not Spielberg, Scorsese, because that's not his, that's not his bread and butter. His bread and butter is kind of this very cynical, this cynical, very mature look at humanity. Uh, he's able to stretch his legs because sometimes he can turn that off, especially now recently. Um, but I, I don't know if, if Spielberg has that ability uh, that being said, this movie had really, really good performances. I think Paul Dano, uh, Michelle Williams, Gabriel LaBelle, and Seth Rogen, they do a really, really good job with what they're given. I have some critiques on Michelle Williams' performance. Uh, but like you said, I think, like, yeah, that probably was intentional. I just didn't get the point. I, I really didn't get the point. I got the point with Paul Dano's subduedness. I, I, it really gets hammered home at the end where I'm like, okay, I get it. But I never really got it with, uh, with, uh, with Michelle Williams, Mitzi character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judd Hirsch has a great, like single scene role as uncle Boris and his Oscar nomination is totally warranted. Um, you know, again, it's very technically proficient. How could it not be? Uh, I, 
honestly, I was just going to kind of go on the lower end of giving this a movie until the very final scene of the Fablemans. Yes. Where we get a where we get a particular that, cameo. That final scene is one of the is one of the things that also made it a flush for me, but not the only thing. Yeah, like I will say Fablemans have like has maybe not one of my favorite endings of 2022, but it definitely is one of those endings that I'll always remember. Mhm. Um, it's very well done. It's actually one of the better scenes in the movie in terms of just execution and performance. Um, but again, that comes at the very end and everything else. I was like, I never was like, wow, this blew me away or wow, this is really, really good. I went, I, I was always like, oh, wow, this is actually turning out a lot better than I expected. Oh, wow. Spielberg's actually kind of being grounded in reality and telling us a very, a story that's very close to his heart. But, you know, uh, uh, again, I'm not saying the passion wasn't there. It's just that it, it, it and I, I know this sounds really, really weird, mm-hmm. but I wonder how this, how this film would have turned out if maybe it was directed by someone else. Because sometimes I feel mm-hmm. like he holds back just because in memory of his parents, but that, that's just my conspiracy theory. Um, yeah, I agree with C. This for cinephiles, yeah, go watch this in theaters because obviously, no matter what movie it is, Spielberg always just works better in a theater, in a dark theater. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you happen to catch it, I don't know what what streaming services will appear on. Um, maybe Peacock. Yeah, probably Peacock. Uh, but when this pops up on Peacock, like, and you go like, should I watch this? Sure. Yeah, it's totally fine. And you're not really going to miss much. Um, so, yeah, uh, I'm really excited with, like, like Gabriel LaBelle, uh, Julia Butters, Sam Reckner, and Chloe East. Like, those are young talents to be on the lookout for because uh, their performances were such where I'm like, I'm really interested to see what they do next. Uh, especially Gabriel LaBelle because he, he has a very sincere earnestness in how he performs that I think works really well. Um, so yeah, uh, a Spielbergian movie is my rating. <laughs> that's, that's totally fair. I, hmm. you know what? No, never mind. And, and, and again, um, it's funny. We never would have watched this. Let's be real. We wouldn't have watched this and reviewed this if it wasn't for the fact that it was nominated for seven Oscars. I thought, wait, seven or nine? Seven. Seven. Okay. Seven. It's nominated yeah, for it, a lot. It, it was nominated uh, for so many. And we're like, Best Jesus. directing, uh, Best original score, uh, it's definitely not going to mm. win that. Obviously, best picture, uh, actress in a leading role. I don't think Michelle Williams is going to win. No. Best supporting actor, uh, Judd Hirsch might be the dark horse in that. Mm. It's not winning best original screenplay. No, it's not. I can see a winning production design. It. Uh, it really does. It really did feel like you were looking into the 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 fifties slash sixties. It, it really did. did. And you know what's funny? If you watch The Fablemans and then you watch Licorice Pizza, you get a continuum of eras in a very weird way. Yeah, but, you know, how many people are you going to recommend to see uh, a Licorice Pizza? Uh, we talked about this no, during yeah. our very first episode oh, where, yeah. where we were like, we we're like, OK, it's about this. And I know that's fucked up, but it's gorgeous. 
it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. No, no, uh, it, we we don't. We're not here to talk about that movie. That movie was what it was, and it wasn't what it wasn't. Anyways. Yeah. All right. So this has been. What do you think? I'm Al. And I'm C. And uh, 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 enjoy don't the movies. Don't forget to spay I, and neuter your pets. <laughs> yes. Don't forget to spay and neuter your pets. Good night, everybody.